Man, I want to draw your attention to a passage that's found in Ephesians chapter four. We're going to be reading the first six verses. And our challenge in this time is to understand the unifying power of the gospel. All right. So if you can go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter six. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter four, and we're going to look at verses one through six. It says, starting in verse one, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another's love in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Man, summer is upon us. If you live in the realm of a school year, then you are celebrating that it is now officially summertime. I mean, if you don't live in that realm and maybe you live in the realm of L3, I'm sorry. All right. Yeah. Y'all don't get a summertime. But what you can do is if you live in the realm of Facebook, you can enjoy everybody else living in the realm of summertime. All right. And so since summertime is already among a lot of us, man, we started seeing people kind of celebrating living in that realm of summertime. Like, man, look what I'm doing. Look where I'm swimming. Look what I'm eating and all these different things. Because it's summertime, all right? There's a lot of different things, a lot of different diversity. But man, as we read that scripture, I want to ask you to go ahead and just close your eyes, all right? Man, we're not gonna we're not gonna spend time in prayer just yet, but with your eyes closed, I want to play a little imagination game, all right? Kind of take you way back, all right? Some of y'all, y'all don't know what summertime feels like. I'm gonna remind you what pre-kindergarten feels like, all right? So with your eyes closed and your thinking cap uh, fully on, all right, and, and you got your imagination ready to work, I want you to think about your favorite band. Man, think about your all-time favorite band. For some of y'all, man, you might not have listened to this band in a long time. Maybe this is what you used to bump on Wesley Street when you were cruising up and down the strip, all right? Uh, for some of y'all, maybe this is your, your favorite country hero. Maybe you drove all the way to Oklahoma to watch him, uh, you know, do one more concert, all right? Maybe if you're like our Pastor Matt, you're thinking about Celine Dion right now. You know what I'm saying? One of, one of his favorites, all right? Uh, but man, as you think about your favorite band, I want you to think about them up on stage. The lights are flashing. The crowd is bouncing. Man, your ears are thumping and you're having good times. But as you imagine that, think about if you took the drummer out of the equation. Man, what if the band was having to do their performance without that drummer? How would the music sound without him up there with his creative banging and keeping everything on beat? Man, think about if all of a sudden you took the person who controls the volume and the microphones and everything like sound guy related. Man, if you took that person out of the equation, man, how's that concert now? What if you got rid of the guy in the gray jumpsuit? I don't really know what to call him. We're just going to call him gray jumpsuit guy. But his whole job is to make sure that the arena's air conditioner got turned on so that way it's just fine. Man, I want to challenge y'all to understand that not everybody gets to be the lead singer, all right? 
But like we talk about with our students all the time, man, God is a creative God, and he has plenty of other creative talents to go around. Man, God wired that drummer to keep that rhythm so the band stays on track. God gave that volume guy great ears so he can mix. And, man, he even gave Mr. Jumpsuit guy uh, the God-given knack for, like, air conditioner, I guess. You know what I'm saying? But, man, I want y'all to think about how we all have a special role to play, all right? Man, open your eyes real quick. Man, as we read that passage that was found in Ephesians chapter 4, man, where do you fall in that equation? Man, you have a part to play in God's body. Man, our God is so creative that he gave you something special, something that only you can do. And it might not sound super creative. It might not sound super flashy. It might not even be where other people can notice it because it might be behind the scenes. But no matter what it is, it's important. So, man, I want to try to challenge y'all to understand that we have a great opportunity, not just in this week coming to where we can join with other people and really bless our city. But as a Christ follower, man, we have a great opportunity every time we're given breath to wake up and every time we're given another day to spread God's love through his gospel. Man, remember what it says in verse four. It says there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Man, we live in this city. And as we live in this city, man, we get a chance to represent Christ who has changed our life. Man, it's not our church versus somebody else's church. It's not this side versus this side. It's not 75401 versus 75402. All those things are silly when you think about it. Man, we represent one God. Man, are you utilizing that one chance that he has given you to make a difference? Or instead, are you saying like, well, man, I'll do it if my church does it, but I don't know if I could participate, man, because we've allowed this other church to do stuff. Man, we need to break down those barriers. Man, we need to break down those barriers and those walls between churches, between neighborhoods, between races, man, we need to let God show up big and utilize us, be willing to do something in a great way. Man, how do we make it happen? Man, it's not because of us. Man, it's all because of that one body, one spirit, just as we're called to that one hope and that belongs to our one call, the one Lord, the one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all and in all. Man, join with me in prayer. And as we join in prayer, man, I would just ask that all of us right now, man, just ask God, man, how can I be utilized in the week coming? It, it might be for, for the city. Man, it might not be for the city. Man, it might be just how can we minister to that person that we see on the corner by the stop sign. And man, we've seen him there a few days. How can we change his life with the gospel? 
Man, how can we change and, and, and utilize the gospel to change somebody's life in the cubicle next to us? Man, how does the gospel that changed our life change the way that we parent our kids? The way that we live in our neighborhood and interact with those that live around us. Man, let's pray right now. Just a simple prayer. God, show us how to be used this week. Ask him that. Dear Heavenly Father, God, man, we love you. We praise you. And God, we want to serve you. And God, we want to understand that it's not just defined by the walls right here in Bowie Elementary School. Man, if anything, allow the fact that we're not even meeting in our typical church building to like spark a light bulb. Oh, wait a minute. What we do to represent you is not defined to just 6801 Wesley Street. Because we're living that out right now. Man, where do you go to church? Man, I go to church in a school cafeteria at an elementary school in Greenville. Because the church walls don't define where I serve my God. Man, where do you walk out your faith? Man, I walk out my faith in the city that I live in. Man, I'm encouraged by people, man, saving money, getting passports, traveling around the world. And man, let's do that. But God, I'm not going to overlook the people in the city that I do life with. God, how can I be used this week? Man, not just because it's for the city, because it's the week that is coming, right? It's the week that you've given us. And God, I pray that we would ask that next week and the week after that. God, let us not be about division amongst the churches, but let us be unified because we serve that one God. God, give us that one hope. God, give us that one power to be able to change this world. Thank you. Amen. This next portion, we're going to focus on that same text that Matt referenced earlier. It's Jeremiah 29, 7. And it says this, But seek the welfare of the city, or I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So the question is, what is the welfare of the city? Is it, is it some financial security? Is it racial harmony? Is it quality housing? Because this week as we, as we go do our For the City acts and as we talk with people, we will inter- interact with all three of those things. And the welfare of the city is not less than those things. It definitely includes them, but it is far more than that. There must be more than simply financial security and racial unity and quality housing 
That must be more than what God is telling Jeremiah. The welfare of the city has to be more than that. It has to include the salvation of the city. So, but the the hard part is, is we can interact with that first one on a much more tangible basis. Right? We can, financial security, that, that, that is something we can give money to. And racial unity, we can seek to make those relationships. And quality housing, well, goodness, I don't know what I'm doing if I'm not going to go spend a couple hours on a roof this week. Uh, if, if anybody can get me out of that job, please seek to. Ken says, no way. We're, we're seeking that. But most importantly, of all things, we are seeking salvation. That is what the welfare of the city is so how do we impact the salvation of the city because we can we can we can't throw money at it like with the problem of financial security and we can't simply break down kind of these homogenous groups that we've created like with our problem of racial harmony and we can't just throw paint on a building like we can with the problem of subpar housing so how do we interact with the problem of salvation, and how do we seek the salvation in seeking the welfare of our city? Well, first we have to recognize that it is a problem. Many of us live our lives not recognizing that we spend time around lost people all the time. We have to recognize it as a problem. We must be burdened by the souls of our community. No longer can they just be a sea of aimless faces. We must have a burden for the souls of our city. So the people you interact with in Aldi and at the bank and Walmart and the car dealership, we must be burdened for the souls of our city. We must pray for the souls of our city. Many of us pray for lost ones that we know dearly and personally, but we must, as we are seeking the welfare of the city, we must pray for the salvation of the city. We must continually keep them in our prayers. And finally, what might be the hardest, we must interact with the lostness of our city. We, we can't stay in our safe, secure bubbles. We must seek out those in our city who do not know Christ and seek to grow relationships with them and evangelize and ultimately disciple them. The gospel goes out through the feet of his messengers. This week we have a, an extraordinary chance and opportunity to be the feet of Christ. So as we go out, I ask that we pray for these things. And so if you will bow your heads in prayer with me, we'll introduce a topic and you'll have some time to pray through that. Pray that God would give you a burden for the lost souls of our community. Pray that God would open their hearts to receive his gospel.
pray that God would receive would would free those who are lost from the slavery and bondage of their sin. Pray that God would create opportunities, not just this week, but at all times, for us to minister to the lost. finally pray that we would continue to develop relationships with those who are lost. Father, we come to you as people who are broken and burdened for the sins of those around us. Father, we pray that as we seek the welfare of the city that we do not look past their eternal welfare. Father, Father, let us potentially even forsake the other opportunities we have this week to seek out that spiritual welfare of our city. Father, we know that that is far more important than paint on a house. Let us point only and always to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As I was thinking weeks ago, what do I want us to be? What do I want our hearts to look like? What do I want us to address as we step into this week? Um, there are no shortage of, of metaphors. There are no shortage of good places to teach in the Bible. And so you, you begin to think of, man, we need to be salt and light. We need to be the body. And so you got the hand, the foot, you got all these things. Uh, somebody shared with me uh, something they felt like God had put on their heart. It was a story of Gideon and the 300. And so you've got Gideon, this guy who goes out and accomplish this, this amazing feat. And so that's, that's really where we're going to spend the lion's share of our time. But I want to start in Isaiah 1. Because I, I want you to see something that at the heart of what we're going out to do starts from a place because God has done a work in our hearts, right? And so there are, there are no shortage of social organizations in any city, in this city, where uh, they're, they're seeking to engage in altruistic activities. So, so they want to go out and paint homes. They want to pay somebody's mortgage. They want to uh, educate their kids. They, they want to do something. They want to make things better for people. So what makes us different? What makes us different? What makes us substantially and, and substantively different from what they're doing? They've got more money. 
They've got better advertising. They have a better, better social media presence. They have better recognition. What makes us different? What makes us worthy? Jesus. You get in Isaiah. And Isaiah 116 has this statement. It says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil. We can't do this on our own. I can't come in and, and remove evil from my heart, but I recognize God can do this. God has done this through the death of his son. So the place we start is the initiatory work of God through his son, Jesus. Jesus comes in, he changes my heart. I recognize I am broken and sinful. I recognize I am in need of redemption and, and I cry out to God for forgiveness and he changes my heart and he takes my selfish heart and he exchanges it for a heart that longs to do his will. This is where we start. This is what makes us different. Man, I know all kinds of good people, lost good people who step into a community and can diagnose need like nobody's business. So they step in and they say, it's an educational deficiency. They step in and they say, it's a family deficiency. But what I recognize in the church, in those washed in the blood of Jesus, is a benefit that could significantly impact any community if it's unleashed, if it works together, and that through the power of Jesus, that through the working of his Holy Spirit. Amen? He makes us clean. He makes us laborers. And he has placed us in this field. If you live here, reside here, work here, it's not a mistake. It's not a holding pattern. It's not something temporary. It is for right now, for his good, for his glory, and for the impact of this city. So we come to it cleansed. We come to it renewed. We come to it ready to work. And this is what he calls us to Learn to do good. Learn to do good. Find yourself walking and engaging in neighborhoods, in, in, in places of enterprise, in places of business. Find yourself in there with eyes open and illumined by the power of, of this Holy Spirit and learn to do good. What does good look like in this neighborhood? How can I know if I don't invest myself? What does good look like in this business place? How can I know if I don't invest myself? He says, seek justice. Seek for it. In essence, we, we recognize as we go out, justice has been hidden. It has been veiled. It has been obscured. And we find people chasing false reality and things that will ultimately end up not filling and satisfying. But what is our goal? What is our charge? It is to seek Justice. We're looking for it. We want to find it. We know that God's justice, if it rains down in the communities of our city, can fundamentally change the complexion of our city. It can fundamentally change the ills of our city. It can fundamentally change everything. Why? Because it is infused and empowered by him. It is his justice, and we're seeking it. It says, correct oppression. We are so good at going out and finding things we know that are wrong. And, 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 and we're, we're fantastic at enumerating all those things that we know that are wrong. And so we take to social media and we say, these are the problems with GISD, and these are the problems in our community, and these are these issues. And we enumerate them when we list down through, and some of us have great reasons for thinking these are the issues. But what does he say? 
Does he say, look, this is what I want you to do. Learn to do good, seek justice, and give someone a list of all the grievances and all the ills that you find in their city. Oh, friend, any idiot could do that. But what does he call us to? He says, correct oppression. When we see oppression, we step in, we make it right. We see a man beating his wife, we step in and we engage. We see people peddling drugs, we step in, we engage. We see families doing without, we step in, we engage. We see someone engage in racism, we don't say that's an off-color joke. We step in, we engage, we correct oppression. Why? Because we are oppressed and lost in our sin, and he stepped in, he interceded, and he saved us. And he's calling us to do likewise in our community, we correct oppression. We bring justice to the fatherless and we plead the widow's cause. Now, from Isaiah's perspective, what he did, he didn't just pick two classes of people that everybody would look at and recognize. He picked two classes of people that had no advocates. They had no one standing there and, 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 and working on their behalf. They didn't have CASA. They didn't have CPS. They didn't have adoption agencies. They didn't have all of these things working. And so he goes to the church and he says, look out for those who can't look out for themselves. So we find those no one would adopt and we adopt them. We find those struggling with disease and disorder and we bring them into our homes. We find those families that are about to be torn apart because they have a need and we meet that need. We seek to keep them together. We're working, we're investing ourselves, we're bringing justice to them. We're bringing the weight and the power and the might of our God to bear on them. Let's get to the text I'm actually going to preach. Judges 6, flip over. We'll consider that a warm-up. Judges is such an amazing book because it really depicts kind of the ebb and flow of our hearts. It, it shows uh, that without really a strong focus on leadership, and I would say leadership under the Holy Spirit focusing on God, that we will be wayward. And so the Israelites found themselves repeatedly wayward. And when chapter 6 opens up, it says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And so this is the deal. They go out and they'd plant crops, and the Midianites would show up and say, thank you so much for planting wheat. We knew we would be hungry. We knew we loved bread. We also knew we didn't want to do it. And so thank you for doing this. They'd come in, they'd steal all their bread, they'd steal all their wheat, and then they'd pack out and say, let us know. If you just send us a card next time, we wouldn't have to kill so many of you. We could just come in and take all of your food. It could be a much easier exchange for you. And so what we find is this is the ebb and flow, and this has been their case for seven years. In verse 7, it says, When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, listen to this, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But listen to this. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why did they find themselves suffering? Because they had not obeyed the voice of the Lord. Why did they find themselves in need? Because they had not obeyed God. So this is a situation. They're oppressed. They are suffering. So an angel of the Lord goes out and he finds this man named Gideon. And he comes to Gideon 
And look what he says to him in, in uh, chapter, six, chapter 6, verse 12. He says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. How do we know that we can make any positive change this week? Because we know that the Lord is with us. How do we know we can have any positive change at all this week? Solely because the Lord is with us. Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And, and, and where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? The reason that we know that we can go out and be impactful this week is because the Lord is with us and he has sent us. God has placed you here in his sovereignty before the foundation of the world. He knew that you would live here and that he knew that some of you would have those goofy haircuts and he knew that, that you would be available and he knew that you could be faithful and he knew there was a need and he designed you to meet that need in this city at this time. Go forth for he has sent you. And so he's commissioning Gideon. Gideon looks at it and says, please, sir, if, you, if you've really sent me, if this has really happened, let me offer a sacrifice to you. Look what he says before this. The Lord has told him to go in his might, and, and Gideon's response is, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. Oftentimes we look at situations, and we're so adept at coming up with a myriad of reasons why we shouldn't be the one to step in, why we shouldn't be the one to engage. Our minds kick to all the people that would do a better job than we would do. Our minds kick to all the various reasons why now's just not a good time for me to be engaged. You know, I see all this oppression, but holy vey, I look at the time, I look at my to-do list, I look at the to-do list my wife has given me. And let me just tell you, I really think my gift is more in connecting people to connect, correct oppression. I'm very well networked. Gideon gives him all the various reasons. He's weak. He's not highly praised and lauded. The distinction of Gideon isn't his renown. It's not his name. It's not his connections. It's not his might. What is it? It's that the Lord is with him. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and shall strike the Midianites as one man. It is God's presence. It is God's joining us in this effort. It is God going with us that makes this thing accomplishable. It's not us. It never will be. Hear me in that. It's not us. It never will be. We can have every church in Greenville, Texas sign up and engage 100% of their membership. But if we do this in our might instead of his, we will not be successful. We can paint every home, educate every child, eradicate drugs in our city. But if he is not with us, we are spinning our tires and wasting our energy. We need him. So he finds Gideon, and he has Gideon to go out and to begin to bring down these Asherah poles and, and to, to dismantle the idol worship that's taking place there. But we find that Gideon is incredibly fearful. He is afraid. Flip over to verse 27. 
Verse 27 says, So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But listen to this. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he didn't do it by day. He did it by night. It is normal to be afraid. It is normal to be fearful. But what we recognize in this is that God is able to accomplish mighty things even with our fear. Our fear is not an encumbrance to God being able to accomplish his mission. Our fear is not an obstacle for him to overcome. Our fear is a tool he uses to point at his might to give himself greater glory and honor. Amen? So Gideon goes out and he destroys this, this altar. And the men of the city, they come and they're outraged and they're so angry and they want to do him harm. We find that God protects him through his father. Look what happens. God is not through with Gideon. Starting in verse 33, it says, Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abrazites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh, and they too were called to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali, and they too were up to meet him. You've got these Midianites camped out and they're going to come in and they're going to ransack and they're going to kill and they're going to thieve and they're going to destroy. And, and our boy Gideon has put together an army, 32,000 strong, because he stepped up and he believed the promises of God, even in spite of his fear. He sounded the trumpet, and everybody started rallying to him, saying, we can do this. We can drive them back. We can do this. We can, we can accomplish great things. We can drive them for our midst. And, and I just want you to understand something. They're, they're likely about to face a foe of around 120,000. And so still they're significantly outnumbered, and still they believe in God. Still they believe in Gideon. But Gideon's not convinced. So he goes to God, and this is the most classic Gideon tale, and, and so this tale of the fleece, and so he goes to God, and he says, look, if you're going to save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold. And so he goes down, and he says, God, look, this is what I want to do. I want to put a fleece on the ground, and in the morning, I want the fleece to be wet, but I want the floor to be dry. So he goes to bed that night, much like a kid waiting for Santa Claus the next day. He wakes up the next morning, and he goes out, and he picks up this fleece, and he rings out, and he fills a whole bowl full of water. And he's thinking, Look, God, don't be upset. That was awesome. Could have been somebody who's walking through the house and they're like, oh man, I spilled a massive bottle of water right on that fleece. The rest of the floor's dry though. I'm sure Gideon's cool with it. So God, check it out. Tomorrow, dry fleece, wet floor. Nobody's mopping the whole floor and keeping it wet all night. It's just not happening. Gideon goes to bed that night. He wakes up the next morning and it's like... Dry, 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 dry. Now, I don't know if he mopped his floor with the fleece. We're not told. But he sees from this the investment of God to Gideon. He sees from this that God is going to provide. God honored his word, even in the midst of Gideon's doubts, even in the midst of Gideon's repeated call for God to display his faithfulness. 32,000 men armed to the teeth ready to do battle. God looks out and he recognizes that Gideon's heart is beginning to move towards finding security in his numbers instead of security in God. 
So verse 2 of chapter 7 says, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. I'm sorry, God. I went from 10 to 32,000. Like, nobody does this. I was like, and 32,000 people flocked in. This is too many. Why? Lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and, and hurry away from Mount Gead. Can you imagine going out and you're Gideon? You'd be like, What's up? And they're like, It's the horn guy. What's up, Gideon? And you're like, If you're afraid. And they're like, We're not fearless. He's like, No, but seriously, like, if you're afraid and trembling, go home. And two thirds of them are like, so Gideon looks around and there are 10,000 men. So you, he's thinking, okay, it's still 10,000. We're fighting 120,000, but it's still 10,000. The Lord speaks to Gideon again. He says, the people are still too many. Take them, go down to the water, and he, he sets about this test. And he says, look, you're going to know who to take on the basis of how they drink water. And so you have some that go down there and, and they drink like dogs. They take their tongue and they lap up the water. And you have others who come down, they bend the knee and they cup water and they bring it to their mouth. He says, those are the ones I want. We can tell that God doesn't like people that chew with uh, food in their mouth and that smack and that slurp. That's just me. So Gideon looks around and 32,000, 22,000 leave. 10,300 remain. We have a little bit over 300 volunteers signed up for For the City. 300 people versus over 100,000. Gideon is right to be fearful. He's, he's right to be terrified. Verse 9 says, The same night the Lord said to him, Arise and, and go down against the camp. So go into the camp of Midian. For I have given them into your hand. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. So yeah, I mean, if you're afraid to go down against 120,000 people, take somebody with you. And he reads, and he says, uh, Then he went down with Pura, his servant, uh, to the outpost of the armed member of the camp. We know he's afraid. So he goes down, he sneaks up to the edge of the camp, and he overhears two people talking. One of them has had a dream, and in his dream, he says, Behold, I dreamed a dream. Behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. His comrade answered and said, This is none other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Gideon hears the armies of his opponents, of his foes, declare a prophecy of a dream that they will be defeated by him. So Gideon hears this, and he's overcome, and he worships, and he goes back, and he begins to take the 300, and he splits them all up into separate groups. And they have with them the horns uh, left over from all those previously who left. 
And so they take these horns and they go out and they, these trumpets and they have these jars and he goes out and he spreads them all around, all around the encampment. And all is once as one man, in verse 20 it says, the three companies blew their trumpets and broke their jars and held in their left hand torches and their right hand trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord, a sword for Gideon. And every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran and they cried out and they fled. And then when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord said, every man sword against his comrade and all against the army. And the army fled as far as the nether region. God sent them into chaos. He sent them into complete disorder. And he didn't do it with the 32,000. And he didn't do it with the 10,000. He did it with the 300. So that everyone who saw it, everyone who sees it, would declare that it is God who had accomplished for himself all that Gideon attempted. As we have opportunity to go out, there's about 27,000 people living in Greenville, Texas. There's about half that many churches. That's a joke. <laughs> 27,000 people that live here. It makes no sense that 350 or 400 or 500 people could go out and profoundly affect an area. But we can. And we will. And we're going to do it through learning to do good. And we're going to do it through seeking justice. And we're going to do it through stepping in and correcting oppression. And we're going to do it by bringing justice to the fatherless. And we're going to do it by pleading the widow's cause. And this is what this requires of us. It requires no passivity. We cannot stand idly by while we see injustice perpetrated. We must engage. It requires active engagement on each of our parts. God has placed you here, friend. Not your spouse, not your kids, not someone else you know. He has placed you here. If you are a follower and believer in Jesus Christ and are here, then God has you here for his glory. You are to be used by him. Can I tell you that it will be nothing easy? There's nothing easy about stepping into a messy situation and seeking to affect the change that God would bring. There's nothing easy about that. There's no end. We're going to go out. We're going to paint homes. We're going to share the gospel. We're going to pray. We're going to visit everyone in a nursing home. We're going to walk streets. We're going to fix roofs. We're going to pull weeds. We're going to have poison ivy in places we didn't know. And two weeks from now, many of the same issues are going to pop back up. There is no off-season to this engagement. There is no relief there is no spelling. There is no vacation. As long as we're here, this is what we do until this is the reality we see. Revelation 21, 3 through 5. Let me close with this, and then I'll pray. John describes heaven. He says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Listen to what he's going to do. He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And behold, the one who sat upon the throne said, I make all things.
we move forward in the hope and promise that God is with us. We move forward in the hope and promise that there is coming a day when oppression will not stand, when there is coming a day, no tear will be shed, when there is coming a day, our Lord will stand in every knee on heaven and on earth and under the earth, will boldly declare him as Savior and Lord. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good and mighty. Your might knows no end. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. We live in your kingdom. We are your subjects. Would you embolden us to stand for you? Would you teach us what good is? Would you show us where oppression resides? And would you embolden us to step into those places to seek to correct it with the love of Jesus? Father, recognize that there are likely folks in this room who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. We are excited about making a difference, but God, I pray that you would seek to make a difference in their hearts. That they would cry out to be saved. They would recognize in Jesus one who has come, who has suffered and died for our sins, for their sins. That he overcame sin and death and has been resurrected that he calls them to faith and belief. God, in surrendering themselves to Jesus and surrendering themselves to you, they are commissioned to serve. God, would you help us to dust off our shoes and to walk? Would you help us to pull our hands from our pockets and to extend a hand of friendship? Would you help us to quit talking and start acting? Move us from passivity to engagement. Help us to not be okay when we see things that are wrong. Cause us to act, that your name might be glorified, that men and women might see your love poured out in this city through our actions, the actions of the many churches partnering with us. We submit these things to you in the powerful, life-changing name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.